This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what role does Turkey play in the war for Ukraine? Dr. Yevgeny Gaber, foreign policy expert from Carleton University, helps us understand the complex relationship Turkey has with NATO, what it would take for NATO to expand, and why the business of war matters to the Western alliance. Well, summer is unofficially here, but the kickoff... You know, was the May long weekend. Handy Andy Barrar is back with DIY tips for attracting bees to your garden while keeping hornets away. Plus, how to get ready to inherit your parents' junk. Plus, it's back your late night confessions. What did you want to get off your chest and share with the shift? This is the shift podcast. What are some of the confessions that you make that you need to make? You want to get something off your chest? For example, I just uh, confessed to Handy Andy that uh, when he was talking about these new computer screens that could be contact lenses for technology. Back in my day, I was looking at the back of the the back of the comic book cover and X-ray glasses you could order online. Steve says eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Did you really purchase X-ray specs? No, I never did actually buy them. But in confession, I mean, I was a young boy and. Uh, I was curious, eh? X-ray glasses. Oh, that looked like, eh? This can't be a thing. Nah, but what if they work? Right? What are some of the confessions that you uh, should probably make? What is something going on in your life that you should uh, maybe get off your chest? Right? So just real life things, little things, big things, a little segment we like to call Late Night Confessions. Late night confessions. Hey, what's your late night confession? Call 877 399 9898. Tell us your secret. Wink. We can keep it. Wow. Um, okay, so that is uh, late night confessions. Anonymous confessions. You let us know something you want to get off your chest. No joke. It can be fun or it can be something legit. Like if you got something that going on that you want everyone, you want to get off your chest, we're the people to tell it to. We will keep it uh, anonymous for you. You know, it doesn't matter. Maybe um, you're working from home and you're actually napping and not really working. Um, maybe you're, you're taking the old company gas card and filling up your car a little bit from the not just the company car. You're like, hey, honey, just follow me in. We'll use the same pump. 877-399-9898. What are the confessions that you need to share? We want to set those free with late night confessions here on the shift. Brendan Kelly, you look guilty. You must have a confession. You have a guilty face on. Uh, well, I was laughing at that gas card one because you're just uh, telling people to fully admit to committing fraud. However, um, <laughs> anonymously. Yeah. Uh, my biggest confession right now is, and people are not going to believe it, but uh, I'm wearing a red hoodie. <laughs> if you're just joining us here, Brennan always wears black, never wears colors. Um, 877-399-9898. What are your uh, late night confessions? Ryan O'Donnell, you want to get anything off your chest? Come on. Sure, I'll get, I'll get a good one off my chest. Okay, we're going to go back in time. Grade five. I am mm. not doing great in social studies, and I want to do good. So what do I do? I take mm. my binder with all of the answers and questions I need, and I put it at my feet. And I turn the pages with my feet during a test. 
I'm cheating. Like I'm literally, I've put this thing under the desk and I'm cheating by, you know, flipping the pages with my feet. And uh, my, uh, the student beside me, a little goody two shoes, Dorothy, who is now my friend, we met again in high school, which is really funny, mm-hmm. ratted me out. She tattled on me and oh my God, I've never seen my parents so angry with me in my entire life. Nothing has ever come close to that. When I got, when they caught me, my teacher, who was always so nice to me, just laid into me verbally, mm-hmm. just verbally, which is, you know, it's verbally. Uh, and, and, you know, we were, I was grounded big time. That was the first time I've, I've ever been grounded in my entire life. And um, which was funny because by the end of that class, I was actually pretty good at it. I don't know why I cheated. I have no idea why. I didn't need to at all. Mm. And since then, I've never cheated on a test. But I imagine if I had taken school during COVID, I definitely would have cheated. Like, I mean, everybody else did. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my confession. I totally big time cheated on a test when I was in elementary school. All right, I'm going to take your cheating, and I'm going to confess as a parent that I, I during COVID when everything was nasty, because there's a little ingenuity that went into it um, that my the kids were doing uh, was they were taking and they were uh, I guess it's cheating. They said they told me as their dad that they were just confirming their answers, and this is the confession part. I knew they probably weren't just double checking their answers, but what they would do with online schooling is they would actually go, because it was like a Google document type thing, and it was a multiple choice, and it would grade whether it was the right or wrong answer. But if you've looked at the source code of the page, it gave you the correct answer for every question. And what they would do, because they're kids, is they would open up a new tab, and they would look at the source code of all the questions, Mm. and they could scroll through it all and get all the answers, and then they would purposely get a couple of wrong because they wouldn't... um, just so they didn't look like they cheated. Now, they told me that they were just just confirming their answers. And at the time, I was uh, I was a dad. I mean, I had both my kids in my house all the time. It was online schooling. There was stress and change and all the things. I was like, eh, points for ingenuity, whatever. <sighs> that's one of my late night confessions. That's a little bit more complicated than a binder on the floor. We've come a long way, haven't we? Should, should we have come a long way? Should we acknowledge the uh, skills of your toes for page turning? Yeah, it was pretty good. Well, I have big you know feet, so I could, you know, lick your uh, lick your thumb to turn the page. Yeah, you have to lick your toe. Oh, I could do that with my feet. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Um, what is your late night confession? Get it off your chest. Absolutely. Uh, calls always, we want to hear your voice, but if you want to text it in, that's, that's fine too. I'm going to assume that, uh, it is anonymous for you. Uh, this one comes in. It says, my boyfriend no longer works on weekends. I, um, afraid to tell him that I miss my alone time. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 877-399-9898. What is your late night confession? Feel free to share them. Um, this one also comes in on the text. It says, when I turn off the lights in my basement at nighttime, I still run up the stairs as fast as I can. I'm 68. <laughs> I actually love that. I think that's really awesome. 
I love it. It's good. All right. Um, do we have the little uh, short little uh, late night confessions little thing there? Some yeah, we have kinda, one that says short. Oh, it yeah. actually looks short is it, this time. Is it's, it short this time? Yeah, it's not actually like It is short, yeah. I made a, a conscious short. effort to do that. Yep. Oh, thank you. Last time we asked Ryan for a short one, it was like 24 seconds. He was like, yeah, the other one's 28. All right, let's hit it then. I love the song. Late night confessions. All right, let's go to the phones right now with our mysterious caller for late night confessions and understand uh, what the story is. Um, hello, caller. I'm trying to keep you anonymous just in case. You can say your name if you Thank want to. Thank you for your respect for that. You bet, always. <laughs> Tell me, uh, share your confession. Get it off your chest so you can set it free. I can't believe this. I'm actually sweating right now. Oh, really? Wow, this is a big one. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, I used to have a really bad crush for my principal, which was my room, home, home of school. You know, mm-hmm. your um, homeroom teacher. That's a homeroom yeah. teacher. I can't think. Yeah. <laughs> See, because you're all, you're all flustered because you're thinking about the uh, super hot principal. He brought me, brought me right back there, and it's like, oh, grade eight. You know, the hormones are going mm-hmm. in the 70s. And he was so nice. And he, I never flirted with him. He never flirted with me. But, you know, <laughs> it was there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you very much for sharing your uh, late night confessions. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. There you go. There's uh, the late night confessions. Late night confessions. 877-399-9898. Your confessions set them free. What's on your mind? You can stay anonymous if you like and uh, and share things uh, that, are, that, that are going on. Here's a great uh, late night confession. Anonymous texter says, I never missed a day of work during COVID. I'm in construction and nothing stopped. I have absolutely no point of reference to sympathize with people who lost their jobs, even though I try to. I think it's a fantastic confession. I think there's, there's, a, there's people out there that take that, right, that uh, went through it. When they hear all these stories of COVID and lost jobs and industries shutting down, you know, I lost a whole business in COVID. It was four years of work, and we just had to shut it down. So I truly appreciate that text message that says you just you just haven't been through it. Very cool. 877-399-9898. You, uh, what is your late-night confession here on The Shift? Ryan shared that he cheated on a social test with his toes. Uh, this texter says, I cheated on a test in high school, and the teacher thought something was up. He searched inside the empty desk in front of me and couldn't figure it out. Well, now I'm just curious. How did you cheat then? Yeah. Was the yeah. Desk in front of you. Water bottle with the answers written on the inside of the label. That's people mm. got caught doing that when I was in high school. Oh, that's a good one. Really? Um, yeah. That it, yeah. Um, maybe he like taped the answers underneath the desks because those old ones used to open up at the top, you know? Yeah, lift up. Yeah. There's people that have um, used like the light, uh, the uh, UV light, black light, yep, invisible ink, right? Yep. So you have uh, invisible ink on your arm, and then you have a little tiny little battery operated black light there with you. And all you do is you just kind of hold it over your wrist or whatever you have the answers, and you just flick the light on, and then all of a sudden the invisible ink lights up. 
What are your confessions? Well, going off this test cheating thing at college, um, radio, television, which I went to school for, um, the entire class received a copy of the final exam for second year radio um, the night before. So you just memorize, you took the chance of just memorizing the answers in order just to, you know, took the chance that he would give the teacher would give the same exam the next day. And of course, teacher did. So everybody got either, you know, almost perfect or perfect, including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this confession, I don't know if that just qualifies me for this job because I, I cheated in, in radio school. So perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, possible. Yeah, perhaps I should be fired now. Some, some Abba Cabba. There was one time in, in radio school we had to create a small, I don't know what it was, like a two-minute audio play, like those old radio plays oh, that you yeah. hear late yeah, night on some of the channels. Too, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we had to make those. And so we, back then we didn't have, we had very basic digital editing, but in order to do the digital editing, you had to dub in all the sound effects. It's not like you could go to the internet and download MP3s of sound effects like you can today. And so when I went to radio school at SAIT in Calgary, I had already finished audio production as a diploma at Red Deer College for live theater. And I, I, so what I did was, uh, Everyone else in my class had, they were cutting tape, like cutting, like literal old reel to reel tapes. And they were cutting and splicing and putting all these things together. And in order to make my radio play, I went back to Red Deer College one weekend and asked my old sound instructor if I could borrow the studio. And they had those giant recording 16 track pancakes of reel to reel. Now, this is dating myself. So, all you people that know what reel to reel is, you'll get it. Um, and so in order to make it, because it was a 16 track, you could literally have 16 sounds going at once and, and everything else. And so when I, I, I didn't tell anybody that and the rules didn't say I had to build it at school, but I didn't tell anybody. And it was funny because when we had to play back our little radio plays, it had all kinds of sounds and things and going on and it was great. And, and other ones, because the ones at school, all you could really make was like, knock 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 hello is bob there creak who's there like it was really corny yeah i never told anybody i did really well on my grade how did you do that oh i just a lot of time in the studio so i lied wow yeah probably dodged a bullet there that's okay i've heard worse at my rate of school this wasn't my class i think this was two years ahead of me they were doing a report on uh, a car crash and uh, the guy could not find a subject to interview. So his friend faked being in a car accident and faked being no. a victim. And so he did the interview and the guy said, yeah, my injuries are bad. And then when he, they, he submitted the report, the teachers were like, there's no way this is real. This guy's chatting and, he, and this story got hit by a car. And so they found out and he got kicked out of school. Immediate, not even a warning. Kicked out of out. school. Wow. Expelled, 100% out. It was a horror wow. story that uh, that I, we were told, and I've, I'm, I'm sure it's real because I believe there were times when I was in school where I was struggling to find an interview where I was like, oh, I should just get somebody I know to do it. I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. I need to be to learn how to be a good journalist. So it was actually quite an amazing lesson for us mm. in the first. That was like we, we heard that story, I think, like on week three of school, and it stuck with me, it stuck with all of us, man. 
Wow. 877-399-9898. This little segment that you can share what's on your heart. You can make the confession. We call it the Late Night Confessions. Late Night Confessions. This one comes in on text. It says, I call into sick to work about once every two months so I stay home so I can stay home and play video games. Respect. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> Straight up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's oh, bad. Man. Now every time I take a day off, everybody's gonna think I'm pretending to be sick so I can play video games. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh man. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Steve says when I was cheating, I had uh, crib notes attached to the overturned cuffs on my Storm Rider jacket. Wouldn't the first clue when you're writing the test be the fact that you're wearing a Storm Rider jacket? Really? You'd think it would be. This is the Shift Podcast. Last week here on the Shift, we heard an awful lot of news and had some conversation with our contacts in Ukraine about NATO and Sweden and Finland and everything that's going on. And Turkey, Turkey says no. But then America says, you don't worry about Turkey. We'll take care of Turkey. So this, to me, says we need to find out what's really happening and cut through the uh, the propaganda and the politics around it. And that means Evgeny Gaver joins us here on The Shift. Senior Fellow, uh, Center in Modern Turkish Studies, Carleton University. And you are from Odessa. You're Ukrainian. Uh, you're in Turkey. Uh, that's where you're focusing your studies right now for Carleton. It's a it's a web. Um, Evgenia, how are you? Yeah. Hi. Hello. Greetings from Istanbul. So uh, you've been busy, I'm sure, monitoring all the things that are going on. Um, I do a very poor job representing the simplicity of this because it's not simple at all. You have a couple of countries that want to get extradited very quickly into expedited, excuse me, very quickly into uh, NATO. Uh, Ukraine wants to be a part of NATO. Turkey uh, is there and what we learned from you last time because you are an expert on the black sea and all the things around there is basically turkey stands to be impacted really the most here as they share the largest border with whoever has the border on the other side of the sea which is ukraine technically although if russia tries to take it all now russia becomes their biggest neighbor so um, what are you seeing what's going on here um, what do we need to know uh, well, I think that you put it very clearly from the very beginning that it's not only about Turkey, Sweden and Finland. It's also about Turkish-American relations. And uh, that's the main point. So you actually got straight to the point. Um, officially, of course, Turkey uh, speaks about some uh, terror organizations which are sheltered in Sweden and Finland. And the list of those uh, terror organizations uh, gets uh, longer and longer every time you hear statements from the Turkish president. Uh, so he started with the uh, Kurdish terror organizations, uh, namely the PKK, which acts inside Turkey, but also YPG, which is organization of uh, Syrian Kurds, and uh, they are active in Syria, and they get support from the United States and from many Western countries, like uh, equipment, like financial support, because they are considered to be the most effective in fight against the Assad regime and ISIS. And that is what irritates Turkey mostly, because while the PKK is also uh, considered as a terror organization by the European countries and by the United States, the YPG is still 
being treated, uh, even though situational, but still as partners of the United States. So Turkey has always been quite vocal about this. And this is something that Turkey is also talking about, saying that we cannot accept uh, or let those countries uh, in NATO, like Sweden and Finland, because they have representatives of all of these organizations, PKK, YPG, but also the so-called Gülen movement, Fethullah Gülen's movement, who is also considered a terror organization in Turkey and so on. But of course, uh, there is another dimension to this, and this is a desire of Turkey to get back on track with the military and technical cooperation with NATO countries, because Turkey itself is now under sanctions uh, of European countries and the United States under many different tracks and reasons and uh, contexts. Uh, one of the um, block of uh, sanctions is related to uh, purchase of S-400 from Russia. And that's why Turkey's uh, participation in the uh, F-35 program, the uh, fifth generation uh, jet uh, program, was suspended. But there are also many other sanctions which are related to Turkey's military operation in northern Iraq and in Syria in 2019-2020. And both Sweden, Finland and the United States have uh, been quite vocal about those sanctions staying in place uh, until Turkey is doing what it's doing now. So it's a very complicated thing, but I think that it leaves uh, quite a lot of room for negotiations because in case Turkey get something, at least some part of uh, its demands from the Western countries, uh, it will be absolutely fine with Finland's and Sweden's uh, membership in the alliance. So money, really, is what it boils down to. Uh, money and I would say arms and weapons, because mm-hmm. Turkey feels itself really in a vulnerable position. And I always say this, uh, there is a difference in threat perceptions, uh, because when we are talking about most of the European countries, Uh, For them, the uh, eastern borders of NATO would be somewhere in Sweden, Finland, and the Baltic states, Poland, and so on. But for Turkey, the eastern borders of NATO are the border with Syria, which quite shifts the focus of attention to to a different geography, meaning that uh, it's, uh, of course, about Russia, and uh, Turkey knows there is a threat coming from Russia. And by the way, this is another reason why Turkey would not like to see NATO enlargement at this particular moment, because Turkey still wants to have these negotiations with Russian Federation and kind of uh, appeasement, not go into escalation path and so on. But on the other hand, because Turkey needs uh, some weapons to protect itself from the YPG and from other ter- uh, terror organizations acting in Syria and uh, in Iraq, so um, for that reason, Turkey either needs to get uh, its uh, uh, armored vehicles, aircraft modernized, and it cannot because it is under sanctions, or to get uh, new F-16s, F-35s or something like this from the West, and it also cannot. So it's not only about money, I would say it's also about uh, arms, weapons and uh, cooperation in military and defense sphere. Well, there's always a negotiation to take place, isn't it, right? Everybody wants to do what's best for they they believe for their country. When we're looking at Turkey, though, Turkey has tur- Turkey has this sort of dancing with the devil on both perspectives, right? Like even if you were Russia's perspective, they would say Turkey dances with the devil because of the deals with the states. Uh, they're selling those drones to Ukraine, which has frankly been one of the most effective 
of the weapons that we've heard uh, obliterating um, some some Russian um, uh, uh, trucks and, and vehicles. So yet here's Turkey sort of dancing with the devil with America and dancing with the devil with Russia because they still have lots of dealings with Russia. So that must be difficult to navigate plus proximity plus they have the access point and own the access point to the Black Sea. So that puts that puts an awful lot of pressure on everybody. I mean, there's some international laws about that, but they, that puts an awful lot of pressure on everybody to figure it out really quickly. Um, because uh, didn't Turkey take a stand about what Russia could move in there for warships? Because there was some limitation that they they didn't let some uh, stuff yes, in. Yes, I, absolutely. I would say that uh, while you mentioned uh, dancing with the devil, I would uh, remind you the uh, dervish dances. You probably know that, or if uh, some of those who have now listened to us have ever been to Turkey, they have these very nice uh, dances when they go around this circle and they try to do it simultaneously yeah. at the same time. I would say this is what Ankara is trying to do now. So it tries to uh, have good relations, working relations with everyone at the same moment uh, with the Russia and uh, Ukraine and NATO, which makes it really difficult because those countries like Russia and Ukraine, they are in state of war, but also other countries which have conflicts like Iran on the one hand and the United States or Russia and the United States. And Turkey tries always to keep relations, at least some minimum of working relations with all of them. So this is not something new, but the problem for Turkey is that it gets more and more difficult with the lapse of time to keep uh, relations in uh, not only quite high level with both countries like Russia and Ukraine. So as you mentioned, yes, uh, from the very beginning, Turkey has supported Ukraine in this war, including uh, sending Bayraktars to Ukraine, these uh, drones, which are really famous now, and closing the straits for uh, Russian warships. But on the other hand, uh, now uh, we have enough of Russian warships in uh, the Black Sea to uh, to have uh, air raids and to have missile attacks on Ukrainian territory all the time. And Turkey would not let them out of the Black Sea as well. So that's another uh, part of the uh, puzzle because Turkey is afraid of escalation in Syria. So that that's how it works, actually. And there is also a huge problem with the you know, stolen wheat now, for example, which is another problem in Russian, Ukraine and Turkish triangle because the uh, stolen grain and cereals and wheat which Russia brings from the occupied territories in Ukraine to the occupied Crimea it then wants to uh, export. And for this reason, it uses these trades, which are closed for warships, but not for commercial vessels. And then it uh, brings those uh, ships to Turkish ports. And Ukraine has uh, sent like multiple uh, messages and appeals to Turkish side asking not to accept them or actually to uh, put a rest on them which never worked so far because Turkey said that uh, it does not have any evidence on the, those uh, tons, thousands of tons of uh, wheat and grains being actually the stolen uh, grain from Ukraine. So that's another problem which is now here. And that's again because Turkey wants to be a good partner for everyone at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that would be hard to figure out, right? What is the stolen grain? What is the not stolen grain? It's not like it has a little tag on it that you can scan like at the store, right? Um, Absolutely. But then still you can track the vessels and uh, yeah. you have all those navigation maps and so on. So in case there is a political will, there are ways to do it anyhow. So how most, from what I've read anyway, when especially when it comes to oil, is most ships aren't necessarily Russian ships uh, that would move the oil, right? They're international ships or they're uh, flagged from a country where the taxes are cheaper and the rules are different and labor laws. I mean, it's one of those really ugly humanity things that still in business today is those those ship companies take full advantage of international law. But they had stopped, most of them had stopped taking it because they didn't want to get stuck with a ship full of product and then have nowhere to take it. Now your ship's not making any money. And um, and so that that was a thing. It sounds like that's not happening when it comes to some of these other products like agriculture and whatever that these ships will come in and they're taking it anyway. That leads me to believe that some of those products are being moved elsewhere in the world and might not know that they're getting stolen Ukrainian grain moved into their ecosystems. Well, that's a huge problem we're facing now because, uh, as uh, Russians are generally uh, doing this, they are stealing everything. It's not only about grains, it's also about our museums, for example, about our uh, places of uh, historical value and interest. And uh, whatever they are taking out of Ukraine, they can bring it either to Russia or to some third countries, which uh, they have been traditionally using for reselling some goods and that's why it gets so so difficult for us to track where all those artifacts actually go and how we can uh, get them back on track the same for example goes for so-called for the so-called skithian gold which we a couple of years ago got back to ukraine brought them finally after tremendous work by our diplomats in different parts of the world, and now uh, it's gone as well. And since we cannot control what is going on on those territories which are under occupation, um, it's really a huge problem. But I would actually um, also pay attention to another thing, and that's about bringing personal and uh, weapons uh, through the straits from outside of the Black Sea, from the Mediterranean to Ukraine, uh, using commercial vessels. And that's another thing how Russia tries to bypass the restrictions of the Montreux Convention. Because as you mentioned, and as I think many of those who listen to us know, uh, now the regime of the straits and the Montreux Convention itself actually um, allows Turkey to deny access to the Black Sea for any warships of Russia, which are not in the Black Sea fleet, but from any other fleet. But it goes only for warships and not for the commercial vessels. So what Russia has been doing now is actually using uh, some vessels like Sparta, for example, Sparta II and others, to uh, bring some military personnel into the Black Sea, like landing forces and so on, using commercial vessels. And there is actually no authority and no international norms and rights to stop, inspect those vessels and so on. And that creates additional uh, risks and threats for Ukraine. So there are so many different ways how Russia has been just violating and uh, manipulating uh, international uh, norms of international law that we can only discover the new and new ways to do it every day, unfortunately. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, uh, the uh, theme is disco. 
and big screens, ironically, which is weird. And that means Andy's here. He's a disco dancer, he's a skip rope jumper, uh, he's a DIYer, an all-around gadget nerd. Handy Andy Barrar is here. What's up, Andy? How you doing, buddy? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm alive, Shane. Just barely. If you can hear from my voice, uh, I've been uh, bedridden for the last two days, so may, may have COVID. I don't know yet. I haven't got tested. <laughs> he just doesn't leave the house anyway, so you're all good. Yeah. Um, all right, well, now, are you okay, though? You're feeling all right? Well, this is the first time I've talked in two days, so do really? I sound different? Do I sound different? You sound like you have a cold. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do. So Yeah. But you know Handsome what? You know what, they say? you know what they say in the entertainment industry? The show must go on. It does. Even though you're in a Hugh Hefner robe, the show must go on here yes. on our Zoom call. I'm, I'm in my PJ still. I, I've been in them all day long. You know what <laughs> I, I know, did the last, the last two I days? It. I think I watched every mob movie that's ever been made. And I mm-hmm. made a really interesting observation. In basically every mob movie, there is at least one member from The Sopranos in every single movie. So, oh, it's true. Yeah, it's very true. So, do you have a favorite so far that you've run into? Um, I think I really uh, John Gotti. I watched the movie about him and his yeah. rise. So that was that was really interesting. And then I watched the documentary after the movie. So I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I remember that. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I did the last two days. Just watch nice. mob movies. Donnie Brasco for me. Is probably oh, the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like that's just so convincing and real, and how he gets sucked into it. And six right? years, he was undercover for like six years. Yeah, and then yeah, and how do you get su- like not get sucked into it at this point? Um, absolutely remarkable, cool stuff. Uh, okay, there we go. So uh, movies is not really what we're here for. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but some DIY stuff around the house. May long weekend has passed. The official beginning of the DIY season, Andy. Um, what do you, what do you what do you got going on that you've noticed here? Well, I want to talk about something that I have to do pretty much every year, and it's how to get rid of hornets. A DIY solution to get rid of hornets because this is a problem a lot of people face. For for me, every single year, and I already know the spots. I I know I got like a hornet brain. I know where they go. I watch them. I follow them, and then mm-hmm. I can find their their nest. And um, over the years, I've made mistakes. You know, I didn't really know how to get rid of them, but uh, I want to share some tips and tricks. If you, if you, if you're like me and you never call the pros, you just want to <laughs> DIY it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, learn from my mistakes. First thing, if you're trying to get rid of hornets and you see a hornet's nest, do not go on a ladder in the daytime to to spray them with insecticide. That's probably one of the worst things you can do, because you're supposed to wait at nighttime um, when the hornets go inside their nest and they get all together. That's when you want to spray it with an insecticide. Um, and you don't want to be on a ladder. There was one year where I did it and they came flying out and it was one of, it was like a commercial, like, you know, what was I thinking kind of commercial. Right. Um, so that is something you definitely want to do. So there mostly is, because they're there inside that why? Well, as soon as you, they're, they're aggressive. See, the thing about hornets is, um, they can sting, unlike bees, they can sting more than once. So, and they're very, very sensitive. They don't want to be disturbed and they become very defensive and angry if they feel threatened. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to wait till it's 
nighttime or, or dawn. So the, you'll, you'll just watch them. This is, I probably shouldn't say this, but usually what I do, cause I always get scared. You know, I've traumatized <laughs> because I got attacked by hornets. Usually I'll have like a stiff drink and then I go, okay, get some courage and I'm going to go out there and murder me some hornets. I this kid is, you uh, not. This is good. This is, this is DIY. And it's, it's real life DIY, man. Yes. But do shots, do now, then do the work. It, Wow, you got to get some bravery. When you've been attacked by hornets, trust me, Shane, that 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 that's trauma right there. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, it's very very scary. But what you can get now, and this is what I use now, because the, typically the hornets are really high on my roof at this like peak, and I can see them, and I don't go on a ladder anymore because you combine insecticide that actually will spray up to twenty feet from the ground. So you just oh, wow. have to aim it at nighttime, spray it. Um, and then come back maybe the next day and spray it again. And then you want to make sure that you get rid of that hornet's nest and try to, as soon as you see that hornet's nest, you want to get it right away because if you don't, it'll just get bigger and that problem's not going to go away. There is, there is natural ways you can do it. If you don't want to use insecticide, what you could do is take, um, a two liter bottle, you cut the top off and then you put something sweet, like a uh, overripe fruit, juice, canned cat food, believe it or not. Or soda. And you put that in there. And what they do is they'll all go inside there and they get stuck. And then you have to have that bravery to go over there and and knock that uh, little uh, trap that you've made out of a two liter soda bottle. But for me, I like to use the insecticide that that has that big spray. It's about 20 feet. I know you can get it at Home Depot. I'm not sure about Canadian Tire, but I usually get it every year from Home Depot. And if you do see hornets, and you see them flying around, you got to make sure that they're not bees, okay? Bees and hornets are, are different. And you can pretty much tell by looking at them. Bees are more round um, and they're not, they're not aggressive. Oh, bees are cute. Yes. And they're actually good. You know, we want more bees there for the pollination. You know, a lot of people, Shane, I don't know if you know this. There's a big trend going, no mow May. Have you seen this where you don't mow your grass in May? No. And, and the reason they do that is they want the dandelions to come out because that's where the bees will go uh, to the dandelions. So a lot of people are doing that. But hornets, they're just aggressive. They like garbage too, the smell of your garbage. So you want to make sure that you you keep your area clean. But if you do see them, just follow them. And you can probably track where they're going. Yeah, they, uh, fl- they fly the same route all the time too, which is which is the funny part is that in order to go back, they always fly here, turn left, fly there, go. And they fly the same route always to go back to the home. So um, that, but you do like my dad. So what my dad would do, uh, similar to your having a drink theory, um, my dad would go and he would take the screen out of the screen door and he'd put it over his head and he uh. would duct tape it around his neck, put on a big heavy winter coat in the middle of summer and zip it up all the way. So he's got like a screen bulb for his head and then you wear gloves and he'd tape them up and then he would just reach underneath, put a bag over it, grab it, tie it and carry it away. Wow. It. Wow. It's bold, okay. right? And he did that without a stiff drink? Oh, he would wow. always have a stiff drink, yeah, without a wow. doubt. But, I mean, that's it. He would put it. And then the hardest part was, of course, putting the screen door back together again because you had to put the screen back into the screen door. And uh, and that was always that was always a challenge. And after the drink, that one did never happen. It didn't ever go back in as square as it came out, you know? Yeah, that's um, that's actually – your dad's a brave man. I'm, I'll just sit 20 feet away shake this little insecticide bottle and spray them and then turn around and run back inside, maybe have another drink, come back did tomorrow. Not always, 
work in his favor. Okay, junk. We've got more junk than ever before. And not only do we have junk in our basements, our garages, but we even rent and pay monthly fees to put it somewhere. Um, you're talking about a junk revolution. Yeah, the, the, it's actually the great junk transfer. And this is coming for a lot of Canadians. Over the next 10 years, Shane, Canadians will inherit about a trillion dollars from their parents. So these are wow. the parents of baby boomers. Not my parents. Boom, baby boomers, yeah. And they're the oldest generation alive today. And unlike baby boomers, the parents of baby boomers, you know, they, they went through lean times, through the Great Depression, and they learned to treasure what they owned. So a lot of them have kept a lot of possessions. And then when they pass away, it becomes the parent or their, their son and daughter's responsibility to get rid of it. And so a lot of these junk companies are finding so many people who don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with all this junk that their parents have had in their homes. So the junk companies are, people are coming to them and saying, just take everything, you know? Uh, another thing a lot of people are doing was getting storage lockers and just leaving it there saying, oh, I'll deal with it later. But it's actually quite you know, tiresome to get rid of the 300 stuff bucks that, a that, month. Some cases I know, but people, you know, what they, they do is, you know, they, they'll, they'll say, okay, I'm just going to rent it for now. I'll move everything there and then we'll deal with it later. And then next thing you know, they're, they're paying monthly bills. Then they just call a junk company and say, take everything. And, and this gets, this gets tough because there's an emotional challenge to the stuff that your parents have. Like, what do you keep and what do you leave behind? And, you know, it's, it is very, very stressful, but it's going to happen. So I just want to let a lot of people know out there that if you can, try to get on top of this before your parents pass away, because yeah. otherwise you're going to be left with a huge burden of all the stuff. And most people don't have houses as big as their parents, so they don't have anywhere they can put it. That's interesting. It's a good conversation. It's important, too. In fact, I know that my parents, when they went through their parents' stuff, they didn't know what was family keepsake and what was just junk in the house. Yeah. And that was difficult for them. And that took forever to sort out and call, you know, Aunt Rose or whatever and ask questions and, and find out who's in this picture and, and what mattered and what didn't matter. So that took forever for them. And one of the things I think my folks have done a great job with is they have already prioritized and organized all the stuff that's family stuff and all the stuff is, there's just stuff around the house, right? Like, for my dad's a great example. My dad was a millwright, so he's got tons of tools. My grandfather, his dad, was a boiler maker. So he set aside some of the most important memorable tools and uh, some of the more also, uh, you know, industry specific tools for the, for the trade and saved those. And then basically, so I know now that when my dad uh, goes that I can go through his tools and be able to say, okay, well, th this is the keepsake stuff. This is the stuff my dad's first toolbox, if you will. And then the rest of it is, well, do you need another hacksaw? It's not a big deal. And it's so incredibly helpful. And what a gift to give your kids would be to organize it before you go. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I think everyone needs to get on top of because you do want to keep those heirlooms just for the, the emotional attachment. But let's be real. There's a lot. My parents, they're doing a renovation right now. And so my mom wants new tables. She wants new furniture. And so I have been actually selling it for her on Facebook Marketplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been quite the, it's been actually really rewarding going back and I'll take pictures, of everything. I take it to my place, sell it. And then I come back to my parents. I go and just give them cash money. And they're like, wow, people actually bought that. Like, you know, those old stereo systems from like the nineties, you had the mm -hmm. CD player, you had the tape deck, you had the amplifier, yep. you know, that's been sitting in my dad's garage. 
as a stereo system with these two big speakers. And I'm like, come on, dad, you don't, you want more room. Like you don't need, you can just get a smart speaker. You don't need all this stuff. So um, I've been putting that up online and, and people are buying it. I'm, I'm actually quite surprised uh, yeah. some of the stuff. So if you want to get rid of stuff, get rid of it early. If you can uh, save yourself a lot of headache in the future. Handy, Andy Barrar, handy, Andy Andy has been feeling a little under the weather. He's been sitting at home watching all these movies on a gigantic projector. Is it a projector good enough, Andy, to kick to the curb the traditional television? Well, it's not just a projector, Shane. This is a 4K projector, and it is like, okay, so here's what you need to know about projectors. There's three different types. There's what we call the long-throw projectors. That's what I think most people are familiar with. You put it Mm -hmm. like on a table, you face it to a wall, and then you see the screen. Then there's something else called short throw projectors. And those ones you can be actually closer to the wall and then still have a screen. Well, the one that I reviewed from BenQ, this is a 4K ultra short throw projector. And basically, if you have a wall, all you have to do is put it maybe about 20 centimeters away from the wall. And then it starts to project right on top of the wall. So instead of having a TV right where your TV would be, you would just have this projector sitting on a cabinet, and then your entire wall can become a 4K screen. Here's the thing. This projector mm-hmm. that I reviewed, it costs $4,000. So this Whoa. is like the newest technology um, in the projector world. So I, I had to review. I wanted to see, you know, is this, is this good? You know, because there's a lot of people, they just want the biggest screen possible. And this projector can do from 70 inches up to 120 inches. So all you really need is Wi-Fi and a wall, and then you can have a projector screen. And the way that they do it, they've learned over the years, instead of putting, before back when smart TVs first came out, all the software was built into the TV. But as we know, software gets old really quick. So what they've done with projectors now is they include a little Android TV dongle that has an HDMI port and a little slot where this, you know, port, this little dongle will go inside the projector. And the reason they're doing that is if they need to upgrade or if if technology changes in the future, you don't have to get a new projector because the software is old. You can just update the dongle and then get it. And the great thing about these dongles is that if you're watching something on your phone, say Netflix or YouTube, you could actually just cast it directly onto this projector. And Shane, I'm telling you, Four grand projector is pretty amazing because one of the big issues about projectors is they don't work good in natural daylight. Um, And that's why you would usually have to watch it at nighttime. But this one, and if you go to shiftheads.ca, watch my review. I did it during the daytime because I was like, okay, if you're paying four grand, this thing better work in the daytime while you're watching like sports or or watching football is, you know, something like that. But um, the technology is absolutely amazing. So for people out there, if 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 you just want the biggest screen possible, and you and you got lots of money to burn, you have choices now. A 4K Ultra HD Ultra Short Throw Projector. That's the newest technology out there. Uh, highly recommend you check it out. All right, handyandymedia.com, shiftheads.ca, and the Facebook group as well. Follow the YouTube channel, though. It's a nice, easy way uh, to do that and find out, uh, Steve, your question about 80-inch screens and, and where to go looking for projectors. That's exactly where you do it. Okay, we've got one minute, Andy. The uh, computer screens of the future might surprise some yeah, people. 
So there's a company that has designed a smart contact lens. Now, if you remember, they had the, the, the little Google glasses back in the day mm-hmm. where you had a heads-up display. Facebook is now partnered with Ray-Ban to make sunglasses where you have heads-up display. Well, now they're making contact lenses where you could see a heads-up display of, of different types of metrics. For example, if you're a musician, you could see the lyrics right in front of your eyes wow. or the, the chord changes that you have to make. Yeah, it's pretty much a teleprompter in your eyes. And they've actually made a prototype to do this. And what they're trying to do is figure out how they can get this thing to last all day. But you got to imagine, Shane, there's a lot of privacy implications coming if you're going to have an on-screen display because that company could see everything that you could see. But it's just amazing that they have this technology and it's already out. It'll be amazing how they try to sell it because it's not like they can show you what it looks like. <laughs> well, they they are trying to make it as a health device. So if it can monitor also your glucose levels in your tears. So if you have diabetes, this can actually check all the different types of biomarkers, the interocular pressure, if you have glaucoma, all of those types of health data is now going to be right inside your eyes with these smart contact lenses. It's weird, man. It, you know, it's one of those technologies, Shane. I've, I've been following the tech industry for a long time. I don't think I've ever would have seen this because how do you power that? And they're actually working to figure that yeah. out right now with the with yeah. the prototype. Yeah, it's wild. And I remember back in the day, I was trying to look at the back cover of my Archie comics and X-ray glasses you could order online for a buck. So we've come a long way. HandyAntiMedia.com. Handy Barrar. Thanks for being here, bud, as always. Well done. My pleasure. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.